Good morning, and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we are really excited today to have um, on the air um, Lexi Laban. Is that how you pronounce your name, Lexi? That's correct. Okay, cool. And and it's just so wonderful, um, you know, Synagogue Summer Days, the Jewish Film Institute's presentation of the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival, uh, which is has this wonderful lineup, you know, beginning July 16th through 19th. And they really speak to, um, you know, what is going on presently in our world and, and the work that you're going to be telling us about. Uh, this morning, and we have two uh, directors on the, you know, they're going to be joining us later on who have films in the festival, really sort of speak to um, issues and solutions and, and sort of lift up, you know, living people that we know, like Barbara Lee and others that we don't know, <laughs> like Tamar in Chicago, and give us some good news, which is just really phen- phenomenal and fantastic. So, um, I uh, wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about the Jewish Film Festival. You are the executive director um, now for nine years, right? <laughs> Congratulations. That's right. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you so much for having me this morning. It's just so wonderful to be here with you. And, yeah, the Jewish Film Institute has been presenting the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival for 40 years. So 2020 is actually our 40th year. And we usually have our San Francisco Jewish Film Festival in the summer, and we could not imagine having a summer without it. So we've created this lineup called Synagogue Summer Days, and that's synagogue with a C-I-N-E-G-O-G-U-E, Summer Days. And it's a four-day showcase of all kinds of films that deal with the diversity of Jewish experiences globally, nationally. And we are so thrilled to be able to uh, kick off an opening day at the West Wind Drive-In Movies. So, um, you know, I think people are feeling like they want to be 
in community, and we felt that the drive-in movie was a way for people to stay safe and physically distant but socially connected. And so we're having an opening night there <clears throat> at the Concord uh, Westwind Drive-In on Thursday, uh, July 16th at 8.30 p.m., and we're opening with Truth to Power, Barbara Lee Speaks for Me. And this is an amazing new film by Abby Ginsberg. She's a, a Jewish filmmaker that lives in the Bay Area, and she's been making social justice um civil rights films for her entire career. So we're really excited to be presenting this film, which is a really great um, profile of Barbara Lee. Um, and we're really lucky that um, we'll be able to do an interview with Abby Ginsburg and Barbara Lee to accompany the screening. So we're really excited about that film. And then we're showing another film at the drive-in called On Broadway for those music fans uh, in the house. And this is all about the Broadway musical industry, but it really focuses on how Broadway has changed and evolved with some of the newest um, Broadway hits focusing on inclusion and the easy, uneasy balance between art and commerce. And so there are a lot of performances featured by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Patti LuPone, James Earl Jones, Mandy Patinkin, and others. So we're really excited about this drive-in experience. Yeah, it's like a throwback. <laughs> drive-ins, what are those? Yeah, ones? Barbara Lee was <laughs> like, really excited about it. She was like, oh, mm -hmm. a drive-in, that's... <laughs> amazing. So people will be able to um, buy tickets in advance online at jfi.org slash summer days and um, put the ticket in their windshield and have it scanned. So for people that are worried about vulnerabilities and staying physically distant, um, it's a way that you can come in your car and see a beautiful movie under the stars and um, you know, the movie is super relevant to our current times. Um, Barbara Lee is a force of the universe, and she's really leading the conversation right now um, and has, uh, you know, created a commission to deal with race and healing. It's called the Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation Commission to confront the legacy of slavery and racism in the U.S. And so I think the film and the interview with her is going to really um, clue listeners in on, you know, what's really happening right now um, from where she stands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to, um, about the uh, the drive-in, is there um, is there a large capacity for um for patrons there, um, or should people like rush to get their tickets because you know Barbara yeah, Lee is are, certainly a headliner. Yeah, the tickets are selling. Yeah, the tickets are selling fast for the Barbara Lee film for sure. Um, mm -hmm. The capacity is 500, so oh, okay. um, and all the cars need to be spaced uh, 10 feet apart, and mm. the concessions will be open but people are required to wear masks at all times, anytime that they exit their vehicle. And um, 
yeah, I think if people want to join us, uh, it's best to get your tickets uh, as soon as possible. The charge is just per car. So like the olden days, you can load up as many (laughs) people in your social bubble in your car as possible and head on over to the drive-in. Oh, that's going to be so fun. Wow, wow. So tell us what else you all have planned um, for this uh, 40th season. Congratulations. Yeah. So, well, the rest of the lineup is online, and what we decided to do was to feature the best Jewish film and culture in a reimagined festival experience. So during the week that would have been the opening week of the 40th anniversary festival, we're going to be programming virtual film screenings and interactive conversations in the online environment. Many of the programs are free, um, but you need to register in advance. Um, So anyone with an online connection here can to some really extraordinary um, film screenings and conversations free of charge to the community. And I think one of them that you, you will be featuring is a new film called They Ain't Ready for Me. And this is a film by director Brad Rothschild. It's an online screening on Saturday, July 18th, followed by a discussion with the lead subject of the film. Her name is Tamar Manasseh. She's an African-American rabbinical student who is leading the fight against senseless killings on the south side of Chicago. And she is kind of like a street rabbi, is how I interpret her (laughs) from the film. Um, She's staked out a corner in her neighborhood in Chicago, and she's really building community on that corner. And um, she will be having a conversation with Alana Kaufman, who's the director of the Jews of Color Field Building Initiative, after the screening. Um, And I think it'll be a really interesting conversation because, you know, many people um, aren't aware that there's a really increasing number of Jews of color, um, especially in the Bay Area, but nationally as well. Um, And Alana Kaufman has created this organization, the Jews of Color Field Building Initiative, to really um, shine a light on the multicultural nature of Jewish communities and to talk about intersectional identity. So the conversation that she's going to have with Tamar, who is a Jewish woman of Ethiopian descent, I think is going to be really interesting. And the film really gives you a glimpse into um, Tamar's uh, journey to try to become a rabbi within the Uh, Ethiopian Jewish uh, spiritual community that she's a part of. And I think that'll be really interesting and new for some viewers to learn about. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, um, wow, it's a really, really well, it's a wonderful story. And it's so, so well done. I'm really looking forward to speaking to the director, Brad, about it um, a little bit later on in the program. But I wanted to get back to you. Um, you are a longtime member of the Bay Area film community. You have over 20 years' experience in all aspects of film, 
from production to distribution to exhibition. And prior to your appointment, you served as the academic director of the digital filmmaking and video production at the Art Institute of California and creator of their bachelor's degree program. As a documentary filmmaker, you have directed award-winning films that focus on women's rights, criminal justice, and LGBT issues. Your films have screened widely at festivals in the United States and abroad, and your most recent film, um, Girl Trouble, aired nationally. It's been a minute since um, Girl Trouble. What year was that? Because I remember Girl Trouble. That's a really great film. Yeah, that that actually aired quite a while ago, 2006, Mm -hmm. on Independent Lens on PBS. Right. It's interesting because... I was thinking about it recently. It one of the mm-hmm. main subjects in the film is Latifah Simon, and I know, she has I know. now, yeah, she has now been appointed to Governor Newsom's commission to um, look into uh, police reform in California. Mm-hmm. So um, she's just grown so much from the first time I met her when she was seventeen years old. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. She had another daughter, and yeah, she served on the, I think she still is, um, on the BART uh, board. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, and and I remember teaching that film in my classes, my English classes, when it was when when it just came out in 2006. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you I hardly ever hear about well, girls, you know, involved right. in, in the right. system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my partner, Lydia Soiko, and I produced the film together many years mm-hmm. ago because we were actually, I was volunteering at the Center for Young Women's Development, and the oh. girls learned that I was in film school at the time, and they were like, mm-hmm. oh, can't you make a film about us? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we sort of said, yeah, I, I guess we can do that. And that kind of set us off on a four-year journey to really document the stories of young women in the juvenile justice system, you know, featuring some of the reasons young women find themselves in the system. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what was unique about this story was that the Center for Young Women's Development, where Latifa was the executive director, they were running a peer-run organization where young women who had been in the system were mentoring other young women to stay out of it. And, you know, they had a very... I think, successful approach, which was all about giving young women empowerment through jobs and, you know, through mentorship, but peer mentorship. And I think it's still very relevant today. There are very few films that focus on young women and girls in the juvenile justice system. And a lot of the programming is still focused on on boys as well. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, and and now the uh, her organization um, that she founded is called the Young Women's Freedom Center, and is still going strong and doing great work. Yeah, so I'm really happy that you made that film because, um, like you said, it was uh, one of the few um, I hadn't seen any before that. They've been others since then, but you sort of laid a really high, you sort of set a high mark and um, really made it a part of the the national conversation, you know, about girls and the criminal um, legal system. Um, yeah, our other guests are joining us now, but I wanted to run the rest of your, your bio because um, it's, you know, people might want to know who you are. <laughs> and it's really, you know, this is a short version. Um, you served, uh, let's see, um, 
your film, um, we already mentioned that it was uh, aired nationally on the acclaimed PBS series Independent Lens and an interactive game um, based on the film debuted at Sundance. And you served for eight years in the marketing and web product, uh, operation department at New Day Films, a 40-year-old filmmaker-run educational distribution company with over 230 award-winning titles. And you earned your BA degree in political science from Barnard College of Columbia University and an MFA here at home in cinema at San Francisco State University. And uh, so, again, thank you so much for joining us. And I wanted to know, um, in closing, if you uh, is there a theme this year um, for uh, the 40th anniversary um, of the festival? And uh, and um, who would you say is, is the audience for the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival? Yeah, well, um, I would say in terms of the theme, I think we were really aware that we were going to program a very tight festival, you know, because we were going to do it only for four days, and we usually have a three-week festival. And I think all of the work we chose is extremely relevant to the current moment. Um, We were really thinking about that when we programmed these films. And even though one of them is a silent film from 1919, it is um, really remarkable. It really um, is about, uh, you know, traditional versus modern life. Um, We have a conversation about uh, Jewish female characters on TV with Emily Nussbaum, who's the New Yorker staff writer and Pulitzer Prize winning film critic. Uh, sorry, TV critic, and um, I think the main theme is to give people a little bit of an escape from, you know, what we're currently living through to enjoy the cinema, but also to grapple with relevant um, issues to our times. Nice. Well, cool. Congratulations again on, on, you know, the 40th season and uh and all of your good work and yeah look forward to seeing you at the drive-in for opening night <laughs> that's gonna be yeah fun. and and i really look forward to seeing everybody i mean in terms of the audience it's for everybody um you don't have to be jewish to be going to the jewish film festival and you know <laughs> a lot of the programs are going to be uh very open and, and inclusive so i hope to see everybody there all righty you take good care Okay, thanks so much. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. Ah, let's see. We are so excited to have joining us um, the director and director of Truth to Power, Barbara Lee Speaks for Me, uh, Abby Ginsberg. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I haven't talked to you in a minute. <laughs> Okay, can you hear me? I want to make sure you can hear me. Um, you're kind of faint, and your and your voice is kind of wobbly. Now, mm-hmm. can you hear me? Is that better? Oh yeah, a lot better, a lot better. Okay, good. Okay, just wanted to make yeah. sure I have garbage trucks going on behind me. So. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and and Shola Lynch, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Um, along wow. with Abby. It's to talk about Barbara Lee. 
truth to power. Yes, yes, right, right. And, and so much, uh, I mean, you know, you're, you know, Shirley Chisholm, you know, that wonderful documentary you made, Chisholm 72, Unbought and Unbossed. And, and then, you know, um, uh, Free Angela and All Political Prisoners, like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, thank yeah, you. I, yeah. So yes, the Chisholm, yeah, no, the Chisholm, the Chisholm film is still out there for folks. Um, you know, she is the first black woman elected to Congress, um, and Barbara Lee is such a huge voice in that film because that's how she gets her start in politics. And so mm-hmm. I was so pleased when Abby. Um, who has been working on this project, um, you know, just brought me in to consult a little bit and talk about the story and bounce ideas off. It was a real pleasure to dive into Barbara Lee's political life and to mm-hmm. see everything that she did with the baton passed from somebody like Shirley Chisholm. So, mm-hmm. Abby, you know, tell the folks out there all about this wonderful work, Truth to Power. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so so mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean, I think the question is, you know, what led me to want to make a film about Barbara Lee, and mm-hmm. I think for me, she's been my congresswoman for you know almost thirty years. Well, she's only been in Congress twenty two <laughs> years, so she's been my congresswoman the whole time she's been in Congress. But she's been representing <laughs> me for close to thirty years um, mm-hmm. in the California State Legislature, et cetera, and. Um, I felt like people did not necessarily know who she was or what a remarkable sort of story is, in, you know, embodied in her life. And I just, you know, one always looks for the people, for me anyway, I make films about people who inspire me. And for me, the people have to be alive. I don't make movies about dead people because I don't know how to do those. <laughs> So mm-hmm. Barbara was sort of a perfect candidate for me um, in terms of, I, and I also don't tend to make films about the most famous people in a category, you know. So Barbara was sort of perfect because I knew how remarkable she was. I knew that she had a complex story, and I felt like I would be a little bit elevating her profile. I mean, I didn't understand all the ways in which her profile would get elevated way beyond anything I was thinking about. But I would introduce her to audiences around the country um, who might have known that there was somebody who voted no in 2001 when Bush asked for, you know, total military authorization, but didn't know that the woman was an African-American woman from Oakland who had the support of her district when she did that, in spite of the fact that the rest of the country, you know, was calling her a traitor and issuing death threats. So for me, it was a way of taking somebody whose work I really respected who I felt was like an amazing representative for her constituents and, you know, shining some light on her um, and hoping that through this film, people would get to, so again, the film was, you know, was started long before the election of 2018. So part of what my goal was, was to sort of inspire other people who were not, you know, born to the political realm to think about running for Congress or to think about running for office. And I thought that Barbara's story might inspire them. And then, boom, in the middle of making the film, we get the 2018 election results. And so she already has people to pass the baton to. And I thought, you know, so this is one of those things where as a filmmaker, you just got to roll with, you know, reality as it's unfolding in front of you. Um, Mm. And so that would explain what Ayanna Presley and AOC are doing in the film, because they were both mentored and inspired by her. Um, 
and supported by her early in their campaigns, which, again, not everybody does that for somebody who's not an incumbent. Um, and Barbara has, you know, has really – there's an interesting thing about Barbara. There are a number of films that have been made recently that are all about elections. There is nothing about Barbara getting elected in this film once she gets to Congress because she is naturally returned with close to the largest percentage, you know, like 80% of her district votes are in every time. So she is often the top vote getter of anybody going back to Congress. Um, so this is not about Barbara winning her seat time after time because her seat is not in question. And one of the things that she is able to do is to support other progressive Democrats around the country. Um, and she does a lot of that. And that's part of what we try to show, you know, when we bring Ayanna Presley and AOC into the film. So that's, again, there is a new baton being passed. We go from Shirley to Barbara, Barbara to some of the new members of Congress, and maybe those numbers will be increased in the 2020 election, which will be good for all of us. Mhm certainly certainly um what i uh what i really enjoyed about the film was how well you tell the story um you know how the different i mean how you go back into her her past and her childhood you know her, that she was from El Paso uh Texas that she was born there and in segregation you know sort of being you know the norm at that time is which meant that her mother couldn't get good um care you know when she was actually in labor right like, wow right and and then her that mother is a, that, is, that is an yeah. amazing story and and also you know other things you you speak to around her her mother um <clears throat> you know challenging uh segregation around higher education um but yeah. anyway go ahead you were going to say something no i was just going to say barbara you know Barbara was supported. I mean, there's, I wish I could have gone further into her relationship with her mother um, mm-hmm. because it was a very dominant relationship. And Barbara's mother was, you know, her biggest fan. Um, there's a story that Barbara says they're voting on medical marijuana, and her mother is calling her while she is on the floor of Congress voting, saying, you better do the right thing here, man. That marijuana is really what makes it possible for me not to be in pain. And so her mother really tracked her career, you know, and I think that thing, there's a thing that where Barbara says in the film, you know, my mother always felt she was as good as everybody else. And she felt we were too. And that when you grow up with that, and when you grow up with that kind of support, not in spite of segregation, but in the midst of segregation, you know, it gives you some additional self-esteem. And I think having a mother who was on the front lines in her own life really enabled Barbara to take some steps early on. I mean, who at the age of 15 or 16 challenges the rules for how cheerleaders are selected? I mean, it made me think going back to when I was 15 or 16, if I saw something that I thought was unfair or unequal, you know, would I have figured out to go to the NAACP and challenge the rules? Probably not. But that's kind of who she's been since, as she said, since she came into this world. And so I just feel, you know, I wanted to sort of show it's like sort of how, how we grow up really affects a lot of what we're able to do later as adults. Um, and mm-hmm. so Barbara had a really important role model in her mother, um, both as a single mother. Her mother was a single. I mean, even if she was married, her husband was off somewhere, you know, in the Army services. Um 
So these girls were raised by their mother, um, and she really imprinted in a good way on them. Um, and I think Barbara misses her mother every day. You know, it's just it was a huge loss in her life when her mother died, um, and I just needed to find a way to say some things about her mother in this film. This is, you know, the film would not have been complete if I did not say something about Barbara's origin story. So right, yeah. And, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, I, w- I would only add to what Abby is saying that the, what the film does is makes visible not only her personal story, which is incredibly compelling, so we see Barbara Lee out in the world, but we don't know how she got there. The film fills in those gaps, tells you something about how she became the person she became. But also, to the point that Abby made earlier, it, it's not a film about campaigning and winning. It's a film about making visible the work that a congressperson does. And Barbara Lee has been voted back time and time again. And to see what that work looks like once you actually get to Congress um, is really compelling. Um, And so that was one of the joys, I thought, of this film. And she's not done. This is the thing. No, she is so not done. done. (laughs) I mean, you know, at the most recent period, I mean, talk about you think you finished your film. The most recent period, I mean, she has been on, you know, a million podcasts and TV shows and MSNBC and all of this in the last, you know, say month and a half. And I, so I thought my film was locked. Then we get into the current situation post George Floyd. She goes to the funeral. She's calling for a truth and transformation commission, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, I've got to add a little segment really quickly about Barbara being a spokesperson for how we're going to get from the protests to actual change in this country. And Barbara is like part of a really important group in Congress that is trying to make change happen today. So they're trying to figure out what to do about the military budget. They're trying to figure out what to do about police brutality and creating some, you know, national norms for how do we cope with, you know, the abuse of police forces that we have, et cetera. And so she's not only on the front lines of everything she's been on the front lines about, but she is really playing an important role every day right now in the halls of Congress. I mean, she's in Washington. Nobody's flying. No one's going anywhere. And she's, you know, back in D.C. right now trying to fight the military budget. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, it's, (laughs) it's sort of daunting to keep up with her. That's what I would say. Right. Um, yeah. And and again, people, you know, more people will know about her today than might have, you know, three or four years ago. But I still think there are a lot of people that won't really know who she is and may really find this a compelling story just to know about what I mean, she says, I don't really think of myself as a representative. I think of myself as a public servant. Mm-hmm. That is a really I, important concept. Um, you know, what does it I, mean to be a public servant? And, and so. the title, Truth to Power, Abby, I would add that is a really important one. If people watch it just for her lone vote um, against the, the war and military escalation, the kind of process that it takes to be a single voice that is not part of the majority um, is really incredible. And who in their life hasn't come into a situation where they have to stand up on principle for something that is not popular um, and to see all of this in action is 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 um, 
it's fortifying. It's fortifying. It, it, it reminds me of something that Angela Davis said to me at the end of the Free Angela film. She said, you know, this wasn't something that we just did. This was the way we lived our life. And so the more yeah. examples we can see through films about people, people of color engaging with all of their incredible faculties, their strategic, intellectual, creative faculties, the more it's fortifying. Um, and so this is just one example. And Barbara Lee is here. And she's, she, we can celebrate her and we can engage with her today and tomorrow. Because she's not going anywhere. Excuse me. Excuse me, Shola. Um, I hear a lot of, I hear water running and other kinds of noises um, in the background. I oh, want to make sorry. sure that. It's raining okay. here. Are we, are we so I, I will be. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah, I just want to let you know if you're, when you're not speaking, if you could mute yourselves because okay. this is not edited, this is live. <laughs> so we want to make sure that, that people can hear you. Um, yeah, but anyway, continue. Uh, Shola, do you have any other thing that did I interrupt you? No, no, that's fine. It's just the example of truth to power. Um, mm-hmm. And I will just, the other thing I'll say is um, actually my name has a soft O, so it's Shala like a shawl. Oh, so it's oh Shala sorry, Shala. Like, okay. No problem, no, no problem. Um, I haven't said your name in so long, sorry. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, but I think, I, uh, okay, so one last, okay, I was just going to no. tell me add one other thing, which is um, mm-hmm. that, that I really, I really appreciate what Shala just said. Now, did I just get your name right or wrong here, Shala? You got it right. <laughs> okay, good. I had to practice. <laughs> um, um, I think, you know, I think that that was a big motivation for me, you know, was to sort of show, I mean, it's like part of what inspires me is when people are able to stand up and take the heat that comes with being alone. Um that that's a you know what I mean? They're just they're they're examples of it all over the place and sometimes they're not made as visible as they should be. And so it was really interesting. So that was sort of one of the motivations for making this film was of course I knew about her vote and I knew how, you know, tough it had been for her. Um when AOC in the film says, you know, I when I'm out here alone, I think about Barbara and I think about, you know, what she went through and it gives me Courage. It gives me the ability to kind of stick my neck out. Um, and so I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that being the thing that inspires AOC or Ayanna or whoever's out there fighting the good fight today. Um, but I was really glad that in the film we try to make that connection. That, you know, that there is a way in which people think about Barbara when they're isolated in their own situation, you know, trying to do the right thing with a vote in Congress. And Barbara may be with the majority when they're out there by themselves. But that doesn't matter because she has still reflected what it means to stand up, speak your truth, take the heat, you know, and, and over time be recognized that that was a positive thing to do. You know, it wasn't considered so positive at the time. Everybody thought she was nuts. And as she says, everybody thought I made a mistake. You know, no, it was not a mistake. So I just think that modeling you know, this kind of behavior is really important for the rest of us to feel braver and to take more risks. Right. Okay, I'm done yeah. with my speech. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking um, as I was uh, 
watching the film and just um, looking at, you know, both of your bodies of work, you know, which we spoke of a little um, initially. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm trying to – I'm getting ready to say your name incorrectly, Miss Lynch. Um, <laughs> Shala, Shala. Uh, Shala. Shala. Oh, yeah, Shala, thanks. Um, about, you know, your um, – you know your your rep- your you know your uh, body of work your canon uh, Abby um, thinking about you know and then they came for us 2017 um, agents of change um, which I saw evidence of you know in you know in this particular film you know sort of thinking about um, you know higher education and just sort of what happened around you know sort of bringing black studies and African-American or Africana studies into and ethnic studies into the uh, <clears throat> colleges and universities. And then uh, the Barbara Birmingham, which um, I think might have been, no, I think I first met you around the Soul of Justice, Delton Henderson's American okay. Journey. Well, that, that was that, back that in 2005. That takes back a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, that was just so awesome learning about this wonderful Juris, right? I'm like, oh my yeah. God, yeah. I mean, so, you know, and you've got all these great, like, sort of social justice, like, you know, um, the uh, the director of um, the uh, San Francisco Jewish Film Festival, Lexi, said about you. You know, all of your films <laughs> are, well, you know, I, I mean, about yeah. I I think again back to sort of what mo- you know when you take on a documentary film you're committing to somewhere between three to six years of work, so mm-hmm. you better really be inspired by your candidate you know your your subject, and Selton mm-hmm. Henderson and Barbara Lee Selton Henderson is one of the first black judges on the federal district court, are sort of similar characters for me in my life in the sense that. They had a story that I knew about. They had a story that I thought I could make a film about. I knew them just well enough to ask. I didn't know either of them terribly well when I started. Um, and, you know, you have to develop a relationship with your subject over time. And so Selton has become a dear friend, but we're, you know, I don't know, 14 years after I issued his film. So it's, you know, and we, it took us three years to get that film made. So we've been, you know, in each other's lives in a primary way for 20 years. Um, And Barbara and I are closer today than we were when we started. You know, it starts with just sort of an idea. Then you sort of approach the person. But, But what's similar about both of them is that neither of them were terribly well known, but each of them are playing a really important role in the context of American history. And they, you know, they're whatever, their roles should be better known. And so Felton's story involves Martin Luther King. I would never have made a film about Martin Luther King. That would be for someone else to do. But I knew that nobody else was going to make a film about Felton Henderson. And I thought I could do justice to his story and in doing so educate a lot of people about what it was like to be the first black attorney in the South during the civil rights movement, Mm -hmm. you know, where things are still segregated. And so when he says, you know, I had to stay at the same motel as Martin Luther King, so we got to know each other. Well, duh, yeah. (laughs) And where were all the other white attorneys? They were in another hotel where Selton could not stay because it was the early 60s in Birmingham. So I just feel like, you know, my job has been to sort of try to make these stories about people who I've been lucky enough to get to know or to be represented by, or I don't know, somehow my paths have crossed. 
And in doing so, I'm trying to like, I don't know, salvage a little bit of American history that people wouldn't otherwise have access to. And so what I say about my own work is that there is a relationship between sort of the biography and the history. If you do straight history, it's not really that compelling because people don't, you don't feel like you have some investment in a person who's going through that history. And if you do a straight biography, it's sometimes not against a big enough background. So I look for people and stories that are going to tell us something about either American or South African history in my case, you know, South African, because I did a story about a South African jurist as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But where there's a constant interaction between the historical moment that they are living through and their own life story. And when you can make that work, sometimes you really can, you know, you can engage your audiences and you can tell a story people want to listen to. Um, and so that's where I think Barbara Lee and Felton kind of stand in the same relationship. You know, it didn't seem like anyone else was going to be making these films. And I was really motivated. Um, and I felt like there was something special about the path that each of them charted for themselves. And that's another interesting thing, which is, you know, Barbara wasn't the first, but she was only, as she says in the film, the only the hundredth African-American to be elected to Congress. Well, that's not very many, you know, I mean, out of the thousands who've been elected. Um, And for Selton, he was one of the absolute first African-Americans to make it to the federal bench. So what is it that enables somebody to do that? You know, and what is it both about them and the opportunities that they are presented with and that they create for themselves that make these possibilities, you know, doable? Um, And then what's the legacy for everybody else? And and to speak to legacy, I mean, what some of these films do, what these films do is they create an archive and a resource for historians to revisit people who may not have been incredibly well-known in a personal way in their moment. You know, like Shirley Chisholm, the first, but but we didn't know what it looked like to see her, you know, campaigning, et cetera, and running for president. The same with Barbara Lee. We know of what she's accomplished, and certainly those of you in Oakland know her really well. But when it comes time to write the definitive biography, what Abby has collected will be important because it's Barbara Lee speaking for herself. And I think that we have to remember in history the archives become incredibly important, and they need to be just as diverse and dynamic (laughs) as we know our reality. Um, and I guess that speaks to my other work at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. So folks, archive your material. It's important. <laughs> it's the evidence of truth to power in this case. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> well said. Really well mm-hmm. said, yeah. Yeah, there, so, I mean, you know, we don't the want film to... is so rich. Hmm? We don't want to I get just it like in the first task, right, of history. And so this is what the film does. It gets us in and it, it becomes important. But you have to tell people how they can see it. Yes, I know. I was just going to give my little pitch for the, you know, for the drive-in in in Concord. (laughs) Um, I don't know whether Lexi said it, but you have to get tickets on a website. You can't show up and get tickets at the door because your car has to have Mm -hmm. a ticket in the windshield when you show up. I tried this the other night and I saw they do, they scan your ticket. So you go to www.jfi.org slash Barbara Lee. You click on the ticket link, 
and then it you go, it takes you to tickets, but you have to have a promo code, which is called C capital C capital A thirteen, and then T H C A thirteenth, which is Barbara's district. You put that in. It says how many tickets do you want? You want one ticket per car. You buy a ticket for your car and you show up at the Concord Drive-In, um, where we will be, you know, doing our best to host something that feels like fun. Um, because as Lexi said, you know, part of what we're trying to do, it, it, with no theater open, we are just trying to create some kind of communal experience for the first screening of this film. Uh, the film had been selected by the San Francisco International Film Festival. We were all set to show it at a major screening at the Grand Lake Theater in the middle of Barbara's district. And boom, oh, nice. the festival got canceled. The theater mm-hmm. got closed. They don't know when they're going to reopen the theater. And so we just had to come up with, you know, some other kind of alternative. And when the Jewish Film Institute came and said, how about our drive-in show? It Mm. seemed like the thing to do. So I'm actually excited because I grew up in Manhattan and we didn't have drive-ins when I was growing up. (laughs) So for (laughs) me, this is like the second time. I went the other night and I'll go again. Um, So, yes, so that's how you do it. JFI.org slash Barbara Lee and it'll get you to the page. And you could probably Google it and find it as well. Barbara Lee at the drive-in. Um, so yes, please come join us. We hope it'll be fun for everybody. And we hope if you're listening and you're a Barbara Lee constituent, you'll want to come see her real backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And, um, and, uh, Lexi, um, she mentioned that there's going to be a conversation, um, after the screening. It's, yeah. We're, it, here's what happens at the drive-in when okay. the movie is over, mm-hmm. um, it, you can't wait for a Q&A. You know what I mean? It's too late at night. Everybody wants to get oh. out of there. So we are going to do the Q&A for the film before the film screens. So there okay. will be a conversation, Lexi, Barbara, and myself, but it'll be mm-hmm. ahead of time because, as I say, when that film ends, you're going to want to go home. Um, it's okay. late. So, yeah. So there will be a Q&A, but it'll be at the beginning, not at the end. And that, you know, we won't give away anything. There'll be okay. no big secrets revealed during the Q and A. Okay, and and then um, lastly, so is the film going to be there? Um, like people can go and see it again, or is it just that? No, one it's a one event? night only. Sorry, I didn't say oh. the date and the time. It's July sixteenth. My bad. July sixteenth, eight thirty p.m. Get there mm-hmm. early so you can get a good spot for your car, um, and. Uh, the way this is a new thing that drive-ins have figured out and, you know, affected how we did our sound mix, the way you end up hearing the audio is through your car radio. So the actual audio for the film is pretty good. They've gotten rid of those little boxes that they used to attach to the car window. And mm-hmm. there is a station that just brings you the audio for the film and for the Q&A and for everything. Um, so that's how you do it. So, you know, anybody who's listening who can get a ticket, please join us at the drive-in July 16th, 8.30 p.m. Okay. And wow, so that's going to be so exciting. Else, the film will be seen or streamed or whatever. We're just, we're, you know, we're just in the process of finishing it. So here we are. Um, and I don't have, you know, I don't have an answer for how else the film will be seen. So for people in the Bay Area, this is your chance for now. I'm sure there'll be other mm-hmm. chances later on. Okay, wow. Well, congratulations. Um, my next guest is um, 
in the queue. But before you all go, I just wanted you to give a shout out to your team, um, uh, Shala. Uh, no, Shala. Shala. Um, yeah, you you all, I mean, you're one of the producers as well, but the team is just awesome. All those fabulous cinematographers like Ashley James, whom I know because he's a wonderful Oaklander and has done so much wonderful work, particularly through KTOP. And, um, and, and the, but you have so many people like your editor, I'm sure she really had her work cut out She's for herself. Based. because Stephanie yeah. Matura is her name, and mm-hmm. she did a, we really co-created this film. Um, mm. Stephanie did an amazing job, and you know we try. We had to try a lot of things before we got it right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, my hat is off to Stephanie for you know making Barbara sing on screen. <laughs> I mean, it's really <laughs> she did a beautiful job. And this film, you know, I could not have done this film without a really creative and committed editor. I mean, I don't edit, so it's like you know I have ideas, but it's. It it takes the editor to make it work on the mm-hmm. screen, and she has been an amazing collaborator, and I am just incredibly grateful for having had the opportunity to work on this film with her. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you yeah. know, this is the two of us yeah. in a small room calling Shala saying, okay, what do you think about this? This kind of has a film got made. My role was like, exactly. I, you know, got had the pleasure of watching cuts and giving feedback as a consulting producer. I mean, this is really Abby's work. Um, and so what, it's a sneak peek, folks, to see the film. So if you can get out to that drive-in, I would highly recommend it. Mm, right. Yeah, me too. I certainly, and once it becomes available, you know, who knows when, I will certainly add this to, you know, my library as I have, you know, your uh, Chisholm 72 uh, film. I actually bought a copy of it um, in in the Angela, Free Angela as well. Um, And they're just some films, you know, and I, you know, the um, Barbers of of Birmingham, they're just some films you need to have because you want to, you know, you don't want to forget these stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 true. And and Abby says something really important. I think this is what we share as filmmakers. We like to tell stories where the main character gets to speak for herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yes. you know, um, you get to know Barbara Lee in this film, in the Chisholm film, you get to know Chisholm through her own words, and, of course, Angela and Free Angela. And that really does something to our sense of self and place in history that is bigger than the individual stories. Um, and so it's fortifying in that respect. So if somebody needs a little lift, this is the kind of work to reach out to. Um, truth to power. Who doesn't need to face that sometimes? <laughs> yes, and we need to keep speaking truth to power in the next few months. Um, we have we have a big we have a big climb ahead of us, um, which I hope this film will sort of generate some discussions about what we should be doing during this next period. Mm-hmm. So right, yeah, yeah, it's uh, definitely um, you know instructive as well as entertaining. Um, people are going to really love love getting to know you know the congresswoman in ways that they might not know her. Um, exactly, I'm certain. Yeah, even even those that might know her book. You know her her um, autobiography. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's. Yeah. I also mm-hmm. think I, I I mean that's sort of why I make films. I mean, not that I could ever write a book, but I, why I make films is that I feel like people have sort of stopped reading, and so you know what you can you can learn essentially something about Barbara's autobiography in you know an hour and twenty minutes, um, and to read her book would take you longer. So I like I like the idea that we're sort of doing the you know the Cliff Notes version on the biography here. 
Um, because, and you know, and there's always something about the pictures and the music and so on that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Right. And you then know, afterwards, you, you, you want, know, as, as you know, in your, your film, um, uh, Shauna, you know, people can go read, you know, Chisholm 72 and people can go read Barbara Lee's book, you know, afterwards yes. because they're, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, I want to know more. Wow. Who is this woman? Who are these women? Um, you know, who is this man? And, you know, people start digging. Um, and yeah. Sort of set them, you know, give them some direction on on where to do more, you know, sort of research around this this provocative character whom you mentioned, you know, is alive, you know, so they can actually go to her, you know, meetings now online in Zoom, and yes, um, you know, and get to know her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, that is uh, that is really a good point. Yes, she's and she's mm-hmm. very active. I mean, if I say, yes. I'm having a hard time keeping up with her. Because she, one of the things that I think Barbara has felt always throughout her entire life is sort of a commitment to the public. And mm-hmm. so she is very accessible in terms of, you know, Facebook Live events and Zoom things that have been put on by various groups around the country. And Color of Change just did something with her. I mean, she's really available in a way that a lot of people aren't. Um, and I really respect that about her. You know, she tries hard to make time to be engaged with the public, um, which is, you know, something that I, as I say, I just really respect and admire about her. Yeah, well, cool. Well, I don't think there a, a, a better film could um, open the uh, the 40th um, anniversary <laughs> of the San Francisco um Jewish Film Festival. So congratulations on this wonderful work. And, yeah, I've got to get my ticket, like, today because I don't want them to sell out. They only have 500. (laughs) Communicate with me if you have trouble. But otherwise, you know, I'll see you there, okay? All righty, cool. Well, you take good care, both of you. Are you you going to be in in town, um, uh, Shauna? It's a pleasure. No, I'm, sure. I'm I'm on the East Coast, but I I was ha- when Abby asked if I would um, help promote the Barbara Lee film, I absolutely said yes. I mean, Barbara Lee certainly supported me when I was making my first little film on Shirley Chisholm, so you know the favor <laughs> gets returned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm happy right. to put in my two cents on this work and Abby's film. Okay, cool. Thank well, you. Well, good luck so on much. your on your work, and thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you uh, for okay, having. Okay, pleasure. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, good morning, Brad. Rothschild, Roth how are you? Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for hanging in there while these wonderful directors, um, producers, you know, continue to talk about um, this great film. And your film, oh, my goodness, They Ain't Ready For Us, is so, so wonderful. Wow. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. yeah. And... And I just love the cinematography. It's just such a beautiful film and such a, wow, such a fascinating story. I mean, about Chicago, and it's a good story. I'm, I'm ready it for a good, a good story, story about Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. well, we have, a great, we have a great main character. And mm, I think yeah, that, makes it, that, that, <laughs> that turns it into a good story. Yeah, she, Tamar mm. Manasseh is, is an incredible human being. I mean, uh, I hope it comes through in the film, but she's just a force of nature um, who is really uh, bringing about positive change in Chicago. And she she is a uh, she's really a visionary leader and somebody whose voice is so needed at this point in time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. How how did you how did you um um meet uh Tamar and you know how yeah to be to be able to make this film like how did you find yeah. out about her? So I was reading an article online in October mm-hmm. of 2016, and the title of the article was "Black Rabbinical Student Leads Army of Moms in Fighting Chicago Gun Violence." Hmm. So I was immediately pulled in by that, and I read this article, and you know, above the article is this picture of the striking young woman. And her personality just jumped out of this piece. And the more I read, I said to myself, wow, I need to talk to her and I need to convince her that I should make a movie about her. (laughs) And that's what I did. That's, you know, Mm -hmm. so I I found her on Facebook. I found her organization's website and I reached out to her and I just kept badgering her until finally she responded to me. And I introduced myself. I said, I'm a filmmaker in New York City, and I would love to talk to you about making a film about your life. Mm-hmm. And you know what she wrote back to me? What? She said, she said, my life is about as interesting as watching the paint dry. Really? <laughs> really. So I said, <laughs> I said, respectfully, I disagree with that. Um, and I would hope that you would reconsider my uh, offer and mm. you know we we played a little bit of communications tag for a few months and she called me and we talked for like an hour and I got off the phone and I said I think she's even more incredible than I originally thought and I kept you know I would reach out to her and I would just tell her like, Hey, I'm still interested. And she played hard to get. And then one day I got a message from her, a Facebook message. And she said, I'm in, I'm in Staten Island. If you want to meet me, you come now. So I dropped what I was doing. And I said to her, give me two hours and I'll be there. Cause from where I live on the upper West side of Manhattan, it's not so easy to get to Staten Island. So I raced out there and I met with her and at the end of the conversation she looked at me and she said yeah if you want to make this film about me we can do it this summer and that was kind of it (laughs) and that summer I went out to Chicago back and forth and I made this film wow that is so amazing I'm really happy you made the film because Oh, I'm. It, she is like, oh my God, and she is so beautiful. And then, and then, you know, we we're like admiring her because she just says, "I'm just a mom, right?" Um, yep. And you know, we're just we're just getting to know know our neighbors. And then she, you know, she talks about, you know, sort of how what she's doing, you know, just taking a chair and literally occupying a, a particular corner, and you can tell our our audience, which corner in Chicago. Yeah. So that's the Yeah. 75th and South Seward Avenue in the Englewood neighborhood of Chicago. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's her neighborhood. And, and so they have, you know, adults and youth uh, among them, her son who um, make it so that people can come out and the children can play and, 
and she and they feed people. She feeds people, um, you know, a meal, and she's there for all of the summer. And by you know the community being present, they get to know everybody because they're having a meal exactly. together. It's just it's a great concept. Um, yeah, why don't you talk to us a little bit about about the um, um, the rabbinical concepts that she's sharing with us as she, because she literally has church there on the corner too, right? Right, right. <laughs> like her her religion, she practices being a rabbi right there on that on that block, and mm-hmm. she brings her her Judaism wherever she goes, and she uses it. And that was to me what what sort of pulled me into her. As, as a person and as a character for a film, in that article that I read, she said that it was her Judaism that made her an activist. And she and I have had countless discussions about this since then. And it's really the, the Jewish concept of repairing the world. The Hebrew term is tikkun olam. And that's how Tamar sees what she does. She sees, and I'm just going to quote her, where most people see problems, Jews see cracks that need fixing. So to, for Tamar, gun violence is a crack. It's a big crack, as she'll say, but it's a crack, and cracks can be fixed. And that's what she does. And she goes out to that corner, she and a group of other volunteers, as you said, every day, from the day that Chicago Public Schools lets out for the summer until the day that the kids go back in the fall, she is out there. And this is how she puts her Judaism into practice. And I saw it with my own eyes. I saw Tamar as a a leader, as a teacher, as a judge, as a spiritual guide for the people in this neighborhood. She doesn't have... A, you know, a, a pulpit, but the block is her congregation. And she's not proselytizing and she's not pushing her beliefs on anyone else. She is just living her beliefs. And people see, and that's the other thing about her that I hope the film conveys is her authenticity. What you see with Tamar Manasseh is what you get. There's no different Tamar on the block and at home and when she talks to one group of people or when she talks to another group of people, she is who she is. And that comes through in every interaction that she has. Right, right. That That is so true. And <laughs> um, I, I remember in, in one of the, uh, you know, because it's, it's, I really love the um, uh, the conversations that, you know, you're having as a director, but we don't see you in the film, which is also, right. I don't know how you're doing that either, um, <laughs> with with the with the, the mothers and the youth um, that, uh, like Jermaine, is it, is it Jermaine? Yeah, yeah Jermaine. Jermaine Kelly. Yeah, yeah there's, there's yeah. Jermaine Jr. and there's a Jermaine, the dad. And um, right. just how, how, you know, they... They own the space, right? Um, like they should. They're citizens. That's their right. community. It's, it's, and their, it's their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and she says, um, you know that, um, um, you know the police, um, because they, you know, when we are looking at the film, it's um, three years. They actually have a three-year anniversary, um, and so and so they have a presence. And she says that you know they're not. 
they're not telling people don't do drugs. They're just saying you can't do it right here because <laughs> right. we want to have a space where children are safe and, and people can 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 have you know leisure and enjoy the community. Um, That's exactly yeah, right. And, right, yeah. But you also show how the police are doing what they do. You know, um, uh, around you know sort of the excessive force and and the crime of poverty and the crime of of uh, structural racism, right, and how, Absolutely. you know, this, yeah, yeah. So why don't you talk about sort of how how you were how you were there, but you weren't there. Um, like, how did you do this? How did you how did you have her tell the story? I mean, you even fly on an airplane, which sort of reminds me of when how we come into the film, we're we're, we're coming in from an aerial view, and then and then it repeats itself, you know. As, as we're also listening to you know the stories and this great soundtrack, just tell us how do you how did you put this together? <laughs> you mean as a filmmaker, how you put this together? Yeah, how how you like how the, you the sort story? of put the story together? Yeah, yeah. And so far as yeah, um, I don't so, know how long it took you to make it. Um, uh, it took a while. It took a while, but really, you know, there's there are some things that were kind of forced on the filmmaking. Like, mm. you can see the block physically transforms over the time mm-hmm. that we're filming, right? Because they built it out from this empty lot to first there was a fence put up, and then there was some concrete poured and some benches put up there. Since we finished filming, there are now um, containers, shipping containers that have been converted into schools that are sitting on that block. So part of the storytelling is the transformation of that block. And we needed to tell that story uh, chronologically because you can't put stuff from the beginning at the end because people will see that physically the block, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So, Mm -hmm. so really, you know, what we're looking at is, uh, is the chronology. So we start at the, at the beginning of the summer and most of the film takes place over one summer and then beyond. Uh, so like I said, most of the activity on that block is during the summer months because that's when kids are out of school. And for anybody who knows Chicago, they know how cold it gets in the, su- in the winter. And the winter starts early and ends late. So there's not a lot of activity on the block in the winter months just because nobody is outside. There's some, as, as we saw uh, in the film, there's the Jewish holiday of uh, Sukkot is celebrated in October. Uh, and there's also, we had filmed there uh, during Halloween, but I'm, I don't think any of that footage made it into the final uh, film. But there's, there's activities going on throughout the year, but most of, most of it is concentrated in the summer months. So that really helps shape you know, the, the arc of the, of the film story. Uh, in terms of some of those overhead shots, we did um, we used a drone uh, to to film some of that. And you know, in New York, oh. in New York City, you you can't shoot with a drone in New York. It's it's not legal. Um, so I wasn't sure in Chicago what the rules were, but <laughs> um, you know, we sort of went for it. And there was a, a cop that drove by, and they looked up and they they saw the drone, and they said. Well, what kind of drone is that? Like they were just more curious as to what we were using, um, <laughs> and they didn't really seem to care that we were actually filming. But but mm-hmm. to talk to your earlier point about the police there in Chicago, yeah. mm-hmm. 
you know, early in the film, there is a policeman who is hanging out on the block. Right. And that was, that was probably the first day of filming. And I had a little conversation with him. Uh, and we had also filmed him interacting with the, some of the people on the, on the block. And I talked to Tamar after that. And I said, oh, this is really great. This police officer was here and he was really interacting with people. And she said, he won't be back. You won't see him again. And she was right. She was right. Oh. There was no, you know, that he never came back. He never interacted with the people in the neighborhood again. And you could tell as an outsider, I could see that the police were not there to, uh, to sort of become a fab, you know, part of the fabric of the community. They were there to keep quote unquote law and order. And the police presence is definitely tangible. And, you know, as somebody who's not from Chicago, it was a little bit jarring for me. It was, it was really jarring for me actually. And last summer I went, I was in Chicago with Tamar, not filming just because, you know, we are now in each other's lives and I wanted to go back out to the block and just, see people and, and be there because once you're on that block, you, you want to be back on that block. Mm-hmm. And while we were sitting, we were sitting there, it was a hot summer day in Chicago and the two of us are sitting there on the block, just watching the world happen. And there are two young guys sitting in a car parked at the corner and they must've been there for a half hour and they weren't doing anything. They were sitting in their car and then a police cruiser pulled up behind them Mm-hmm. got out of the car and took those two guys out of the car and handcuffed them to each other hmm. and just started interrogating them. And Tamar and I sort of wandered over to where this was happening. We stayed on, on the side of the fence where, where the, the, the block is or where the, the lot is. And Tamar started asking, what do you, you know, what what they do? And the cop looked at her, one of the cops looked at her and said, are you interfering with police business. And she said, how can I interfere with anything from where I'm standing on my property? And, you know, I took a couple of pictures of this and I saw it with my own eyes and these guys weren't doing anything. They were let Mm -hmm. go, but it was pure harassment. That's all it was. And I saw it. And, you know, I, I posted something about it. And one of my friends sort of, you know, came back to me, uh, in a direct message, and he said, well, you know, you don't really know exactly what was going on. And I was like, no, I know exactly what was going on. I've been here long enough to know exactly what was going on. I said, don't tell me that you that because your worldview tells you one thing, that my eyes are wrong. I said, I know what the deal was. This was pure intimidation and harassment. That's it. End of story. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um you know, we see that with, um, uh, is it, I'm trying to think, the young person named Jeremiah? No. Jermaine? Jermaine, yeah, Jermaine. Jermaine. Um, yeah. When, when he, um, you know, he's he's, a, he's, he's arrested and he's in, uh, incarcerated, yeah. and, and then um, there are some fines, and because he can't pay the fines, right. he can't. Yeah. He can't go to school. Is that what this? I, I was trying. I well, wasn't quite clear get, what was going he, on. He couldn't. He couldn't get out. 
he oh, couldn't get, he out get out because he couldn't oh. pay his fine. So he was he was arrested mm. again, pulled over for no reason, and yeah. they checked his license and they said, "Well, this is a fake license." So they arrested him and they put him in the lockup, and they, you know, he had some unpaid fines and they wouldn't let him go. But the interesting thing is when he went for his hearing, the judge looked at um, the papers in front of him. And he said, well, you've been sent, you've been, you know, at home on house arrest. And he said, no, I've been in lockup for the last three weeks. So the system had no idea that he was even in the system. Wow. Oh, that's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and and then you know that this really that that particular theme really sort of comes up multiple times in the film that these young people, um, you know, it's really hard to keep them safe. Um, you know, they're you know they're they're not doing anything wrong, but then some of them can't find you know meaningful occupations because exactly you know right right so. So, you know, they're not doing anything, but then because they're visible, they get picked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to fill various quotas. I think that's even mentioned, too. Yeah. Well, that mm-hmm. I don't know um, specifically, but it, they certainly are getting picked on. I couldn't tell you Oh, I know about that. Why. Police do have yeah. quotas that they have to fill. Yeah. No, no, so I'm, they, I'm sure they yeah. do. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you said this earlier which is, you know, mm-hmm. Tamar says, like, I can't stop people from doing what they do out here to survive. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's selling, yeah. selling dope, like, okay, that's what they do. And that's not, she's not out there to try to turn everybody into, you know, a, a choir boy or girl. Her job is to keep people safe and to feed kids and to bro- provide them with a safe space. She doesn't have jobs to give people. She, you know, can only help to a certain degree with education but there are structural things that she can't fix. So she's doing what she can do, but she can't be responsible for every last thing that's wrong, you know, in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And I noticed that, you know, your film, um, They Ain't Ready For Me, is going to be uh, screened online on Saturday, July 18th. I guess that's next Saturday um, at 12 yeah. p.m. And then it's going to be it's a West Coast premiere, and there's going to be a Q and A. Is yeah, Tamar going to Tamar. join you uh, in the conversation? Well, Tamar. Oh. Tamar is going to be doing the Q and A. Oh. Okay. Yeah. With you? No, I'm not going to be doing the Q and A. Somebody from the the festival is going to be interviewing oh, her. Okay. And okay. and I just want to I just want to tell your listeners that they should tune in because. She's incredible when she sees Q&As. And it's funny mm-hmm. because I know how incredible of a human being she is because I made mm-hmm. this film about her and I was, I was pulled into this story because of her. But when you know somebody so well, sometimes you forget mm-hmm. how incredible they really are. So every mm-hmm. time I hear her speak in front of an audience, I'm reminded again of <laughs> why she is so amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And she, the audiences really respond well to her. And when she is there at a screening and when she does the Q&As afterwards, you know, people, people really, um, are, they are pulled towards her. She's, she's a rock star. She really is a mm-hmm. rock star. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so, how was the film received? Um, you know, by the um, the community, and and uh, has it changed anything around the way that um, the city of Chicago sort of looks at its um, citizens, um, particularly you know, insofar as um, being more helpful than than harmful in in the relationships that they yeah, could I think, develop. I think it's too early to answer that mm-hmm. question because the film premiered at the end of January and then the pandemic mm-hmm. hit. So mm-hmm. a lot of the screenings that we had that we were supposed to do in person sort of went away. And now we're doing all of these online screenings. We haven't even shown the film in Chicago yet. So, oh. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is like one of the one in San Francisco is going to be one of the first few screenings, the public screenings that we're having. So the okay. impact has yet to be felt, but it certainly will be felt because the more people who hear about Tamar and her work, the more people will demand change, you know, the, the type of change that she represents. Right, yeah. Um, I actually, um, I don't know if you have a few extra minutes because we started. Sure. Here. Um, but sure. I, I could actually play um, the trailer and people could hear her voice. And then I wanted to ask you to tell us more about her, like the backstory, because this sure. is about her work. Um, but I really want to know, like, who is this woman? Because <laughs> particularly when you all okay. go to, um, uh, is it Robeson? To Carolina. Um, County? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, what is this story? <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that. <laughs> okay, cool. Let me play this then. Okay. Poverty and unemployment and the conditions that we live in, it creates an environment right for nonviolence. 39 people were shot in Chicago over the Chicago weekend. police have already seized more than 5,000 guns. This year alone, more than 2,100 people have been shot, more than 400 killed. Ready to do this? Let's do this. I made it to the top and I'm never coming down. They wanted me to flop, but instead I run the town. Now wait. We occupy the corner of 75th and Stewart every single day. The idea behind it was, you tell me the bad areas where there are gang beats. I'll take these women and we'll set up and it'll stop everything from happening because nobody wants to shoot anybody's mother. How they say it takes a village to raise a child, we we forming our village and our village is getting stronger and we're raising our kids to be productive. I don't try to create this idea that 75th and Stewart is this utopic society because it's not. It's just how do you bring about some sort of order within the chaos? You gotta stop beating people up and shit, okay? Come here. Come here, let me tell you something. Do you promise? Like, do you, like, pinky swear? This is what my life is reduced to, pinky swearing. Tonight is Passover. It's Matzabal. I'm a Jew, and I'm black. Don't forget I'm really, really pretty. What if we were slaves in Egypt and we never came out? We got our freedom, but we never left Egypt. Who would we be right now? Will we be free? Really? Now stop. There's too many kids out. Stop. 
going to pop some fireworks. This is not the church. I'm not a politician. I'm really, honestly, just somebody's mother. And my survival is more than what it means. I'm a movement. <laughs> I'm a movement. <laughs> yeah, that, that song captures her perfectly. Mhm. Yeah. Who is um uh intelligence um movement oh, intelligence? Yeah. In- yeah, intelligence is a uh hip hop artist who's originally mm. from Chicago and I I was uh put in touch with her. I was told about her by a friend of mine uh mm. on Facebook who had posted something about a concert he went to in Washington, D.C. that had a couple of different Chicago-based hip-hop artists who also were um, interested in social justice. And I saw that post, and I said, that's exactly the type of artist that I'm looking for for the soundtrack to the film. And he gave me a couple of names, and he said, oh, and there's this woman who I saw open for Wu-Tang here in Washington, and her name is Intelligence. So I, you know, did a little research, and I heard some of this music, and that song in particular, I said, that's the perfect song to close mm. on, for the closing credits of the film. Like, that, that's Tamar. And right. I reached out to Intelligence, and I met her. She came through New York. Uh, we sat down and we talked about the film. We talked about Tamar and she said that she was interested in doing the music and I was, could not have been happier. And she's, <laughs> you know, a, a, another really talented artist who, uh, you know, this, her, this voice that she has is so similar to the message of the film. And, mm-hmm. and we, I just feel really lucky that, um, that we were able to use this music. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before yeah. maybe so, you tell so us you, um, more more about tomorrow, let me let me read your bio for folks so they can know a little yeah. bit more about you. Uh, you're the director, producer, and you're also an award-winning producer and writer with both a creative and business background. You received a master's in international affairs and a master's in business administration, both from Columbia University, from 1995, and and so did um, I believe Abby. Um, Ginsburg, uh, uh, who um, was on right before us, <laughs> um, uh, he got her uh, master's at San Francisco State. Um, from go. 1995 to 1997, you served as the speech writer and director of communications for the Mission of Israel to the United Nations. Um, you produced the award-winning documentary feature, Kinder Block 66, Return to um, Buchenwald. Is that how you said it? Buchenwald, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is a concentration camp in Germany. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and this film screened in the Jerusalem Film Festival and in over 20 festivals in the United States and around the world. When when did you yeah. make that film? That came out in 2012, I think. Okay. It's hard to That's remember at this point, but yeah, it's, yeah 2012, yeah. Uh, And that was really a film. We went with four uh, guys who were kids when they were liberated from Buchenwald. And we went Mm -hmm. back to the camp with them for the 65th anniversary of the liberation. Um, And it was really, you know, astounding to get to hear these stories firsthand 
and get to know these people and see how resilient they they are and to find out what they did with their lives after after going through the unspeakable. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of reminds me of, um, you know, when you all travel to um, South Carolina, in in this film. Yeah. Speaking of a similar kind of, you know, traveling with someone, you know, an ancestor of someone, um, but then the yeah. grandmother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. went with Tamar and her mom to North and South Carolina to go on a roots trip to, you know, they wanted to do research in the archives to find to find out about relatives and to find out about, to find out more about their family history. Tamar is really, really connected to her family story. And to me, that was an important part of who, of who she is. So I wanted to tell it in the film because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you think about some of these motivations for why they do what they do. And she says it quite plainly in the film, which is that, her ancestors had endured so much that she feels responsible to them to live an exemplary life, to to prove that she's worthy of what they sacrificed. And that's mm-hmm. pretty heavy. I mean, that's a lot to put mm-hmm. on yourself, I think. Um, but it's it's interesting that you you made that connection to you know going back to the concentration camp and then going back to the the towns where your family was enslaved and where they lived, you know, as sharecroppers. And I remember thinking to myself, this is very similar to people who, when they went back to concentration camps, because unspeakable Mm -hmm. horrors occurred there. And now people are going back and saying, this is what I have overcome. And now I'm here as a free person. It's very, very similar. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. She talks about her grandmother who died when she was ten, and yeah, uh, and, yeah. and then she she sings this really beautiful song while she's there, you know, looking at the headstone. Yeah, yeah, in the cemetery. Yeah, yeah that was mm-hmm. incredibly moving. It's so moving to be there at the at that moment that it's almost you know you want to go away because it's so personal to her and her mom that you're almost being intrusive by being there with the camera. Um, mm-hmm. So we kept we kept a respectful distance and you know there was we didn't really there was no directing of anything. It was just like okay whatever is about to happen like we're just going to let it happen uh, mm-hmm. and we just observed. And that's essentially, you know, how we made most of the film, but especially in, at a time that's so sensitive and so emotional for the, the protagonists of the film, you know, my, I saw my role as just fading into the background and, and letting things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what is um, Tamar's ancestry? Because I think um, you mentioned or someone mentions that she's um, – She's Ethiopian, but then she has um, roots in the African American community no, as well. No, she's not Ethiopian. No? She's African American. Oh. Yeah, she's oh, on both okay. sides. Like she's yeah. Oh, the, okay. the congregation, the congr- the the congregation that she belongs to, I think, may have Ethiopian in the the name of the congregation, but she's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought I heard somewhere in the film. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's she's African American. 
Okay. So so she first generation, um, born outside of the South, like was she born in Chicago? She was born in Chicago. Her mother mm-hmm. uh was not born in the South, but if she wasn't you know, she the the family wasn't in the North very long. And her mm-hmm. father Tamar's father was born in Mississippi. So you know, she's not, her roots in Chicago, she's herself, like I said, was born in Chicago, but her roots don't go back more than one or two generations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and her son, um, how, I didn't, you know, when she kept on saying she was a mother, I kept on looking for the child. Like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> right. Exactly. You think he's going to be like five years old, but Max is like, uh, he's 21. Oh, he is. Oh, my. Yeah, God. yeah. She also has a daughter. She also has a daughter oh. who we see in the film, but she's not identified in the film, and she's actually a little bit older than Max. Oh. Uh, so Tamar was very young when she had her kids. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, if you look at Tamar, you would think like, yeah, she has tiny kids at home because she can't be more than twenty-five, but she's a little more than twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah, and then um, and then they say that a lot of the children, you know, they respect her, but they're a little afraid of her too. Um, and she knows them. So I'm wondering, is she working in the schools? Because they say that she no, sees them. No, no. Okay, okay. No. So so tomorrow, uh, there's another character in the film, Ken, Kendra. Kendra works yeah. in the school system in Chicago, and she's the one that most of the kids are afraid of, more so than oh. Tamar. Uh, the kids are a little afraid of Tamar, but they're a lot afraid of Kendra. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nice. Nice. And um, and I know I know they have the website, um, you know, on the block dot com for people that are interested in, um, you know, sort of it's on the learning block, more on, about on the block on the block dot org is uh, or, their okay. website. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's where you can get more information about uh, MASK, which is Mothers and Men Against Senseless Killing, which is tomorrow's organization. Uh, and if you want to support them and their good work that they do, there's a place online that you can make a donation. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just um. Wow, this is a really wonderful film. A great story. Thank so you. Happy. Thank you. So happy, you know, to to know her. Um, yeah, it's just just really wonderful that you have given us access, you know, to to this this wonderful woman and and this wonderful community and and this guy's just so hopeful. And I'm wondering, like, are there any other corners like that in Chicago? You know, I, I hope that there are, and there are plenty of people who are doing great work in Chicago, but mm-hmm. there are very few Tamar Manassas in the world. So so when you think like, oh, this is, you know, we talked about this earlier. It's such a, a simple concept of showing up, putting a chair down and staying, right? Mm-hmm. It's simple, but it's revolutionary at the same time. And, and you think, well, why can't we do this on 50 blocks around the south side of Chicago? And the only mm-hmm. conclusion that I have reached as to why that hasn't happened is because there aren't 50 Tamar Manassas to sit on those mm-hmm. corners. So, yeah, anybody can do this, but to do it effectively and to show up day in and day out requires 
you know, you need a level of commitment and passion that very few people have. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, really happy that she has, you know, that level oh, of um, really commitment and, and passion, and she's not going anywhere. She she says in the film that, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't, you know, close up at, at the end of the summer. Maybe we need to be here a little longer, you yeah, know, to try to keep, right. the, keep the kids safe. Um, from um, yeah, from the police she's mentioning there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is her mission, and, and you know it's mm-hmm. a calling. And, you know, it's not a job; it's a it's a calling. This mm-hmm. is what she has to do because this is who she is. Uh, and you know, th- this is the beginning for Tamar. Mm-hmm. I I only hope that the film serves as a platform to help amplify her voice and her message and to transform her into a national figure. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, I, I think this film will go a long way in doing that. Cause it's, I hope, I it, hope so. It's really, really, really beautifully done. I think you do a really, you, you and your I team. Do. You want to give a shout-out to any of your, of your team members? Because this is a really yeah, wonderful, wonderful work. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so I, I was really fortunate to work with talented and nice people and good people. Uh, my editor and co-producer, Connor Callista, uh, the camera people in Chicago, Dan Coleman and Tabby Kohler, everybody was fantastic, and everybody just bought in from, from the word go, and everybody was captivated by Tamar and just felt by, this was a, a, an important project that they wanted to be part of, and they, they gave their all... And like I said, they're all incredibly talented, um, and we made a, a good team um, to help tell this really important story. And to me, you know, you said, "Oh, thank you for you know bringing, for letting us know Tamar." I have to thank Tamar every day for letting me tell her story and for letting me into her life because she is, she's the most incredible person I've ever met. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, and um yeah, I was think I was looking at another film, you know, that you were director of you directed um called African Exodus about the plight yeah. of Israel's African refugees. I think I might have seen that one. Uh, what year oh, was really? that? Mhm. Um that was like 2015, 2016. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah I, that's I think a I story. I saw that one. Mhm. Mm-hmm. That, that's a story about uh, Sudanese and Eritrean asylum seekers who made their way through the Sinai Desert into Israel. Mm-hmm. And that, that story could be told in any number of countries, you know, with any different group of migrants who are seeking safety and asylum. It just so happens that, these, that, these, that this group of migrants you know, found their way into Israel. And when I first started to become interested in this subject, the story was that these are refugees from the genocide in Darfur, and they're coming to Israel uh, looking for asylum and, and looking for refuge. And I thought, well, this is interesting because Israel is a country made up of Holocaust survivors and other people who fled from violence and what kind of interaction would these would would these two groups have? 
Uh, and unfortunately, I was not, um, I was surprised neg- in a negative way as to how the refugees and asylum seekers were treated once they, once they got to Israel. And it's, mm-hmm. like I said, it could be any, it could be Mexicans who have come to the United States. It's the same thing. They're treated, they're not wanted. And, right. and it's a problem with the immigration system in the country. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be fixed and it needs to be addressed. And, and refugees need to be given basic human rights. It's, you, it should not be a crime to be a refugee. You know, your presence in a country should not be criminal. Mm-hmm. That, that's a problem. And when you're treated as a criminal and you're forced uh, underground, it, 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 there are only bad outcomes. So when you're denied access to education and health care and employment, of course there's, there are going to be bad things that happen as a result. What do we expect? But when we do not give people rights, then this is what happens. And we see it all over the, the Western world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true, so true. Yeah. Um, any any closing thoughts around around the film, around the uh the screening on the 18th at 12 p.m. online um uh, any work that you're working on now you want to tell us about um website I wish I wish yeah well the website for the film <laughs> is <laughs> I'll give you that one because that's the easiest uh it's <laughs> www.theyain'treadyforme.com and you can check out the the film's website there Unfortunately, there's not. I don't have a ton to report about what I'm working on now because everything is kind of shut down because of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. any projects that were in development when this thing hit sort of had to get rolled up a little bit. Um, I was talking with a colleague the other day, and I said, if, unless you're in post-production, unless all of your filming is done, it's really hard to, you know, to have a, a project that's going right now. So uh, right now I'm sort of, as they say, in between projects and I'm looking for my next, uh, my next thing. Although this is going to be a tough act to follow. Like how do you follow Tamar Manasseh? So I'm going <laughs> yeah, to ride this as long <laughs> as I can. <laughs> and, um, but I'm yeah. excited for the West Coast premiere of the film. Uh, I only wish that I could be there. I only wish it could be in person and, you know, mm-hmm. also to have Tamar there. Cause as I said, when she comes uh, for a Q and a after a screening audiences just go nuts as they should. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's really what I want to say. I'm excited for, for the West coast premiere. Hopefully one day soon we'll all be, you know, free from the constraints that we're under because of the, the pandemic and we'll be able to travel the country again and we'll be able to resume a semi-normal life at some point and you know i'll be able to come to some of these screenings and and we'll be able to to meet people and and really get the message out Mm -hmm. right yeah well thank you again so much brad for this wonderful film being ready for us yeah congratulations really really wonderful work yeah, and um, I'm going to conclude our conversation with um, the entire um, piece by Intelligence. Um, uh, uh, it's a movement. I'm trying to think. Um, I'm a movement. Oh, 
I'm a movement, right? Thank you. I'm trying to read what I wrote here. <laughs> I'm a movement. So we're going to we're going to go out with all of that so that people can hear the whole piece. And uh, yeah, again, congratulations and thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> all right, you take good care. Have a thank you too. Have a good day. You too. I made it to the top and I'm never coming down. They wanted me to flop, but instead I run the town. I'm rolling in a drop, I'm headed for the clouds. Hit them haters, yelling stop, I continue with the rounds. I'm reaching for the yacht, stepping in battlegrounds. I deserve to the knock, opportunity pounding. You can listen or just watch. Promise you I'm astounding, give them everything I got and watch the plan from underground. Now wait, you really trying to tell me I ain't fresh analogy? No gimmick, no ghost, and no apologies. Or better yet, no smoke, just terminology. But see, I get it, uh, it's my biology. Prophecy over probably, quality over quantity. Harmony when I'm zoning, philosophizing. Logically, consciously, I'm dividing the lines. From the arteries, audibly, I'm controlling the flow. It's all ideally, and best believe that I'm predetermined to win. Ayy, and I'm back at it again. In the final second, I elevate in my direction. Leave them to wonder why they ever second guess. Me, they never recognized a queen. They never saw that I was backed by a king. So my arrival is more than what it seems. And my survival is more than what I it means. I listen to them minute, wonder if I lose. Being watching is a watching like I have a choice to choose. And I was born to win, the born to be amused. And when the dust settles, rose petals feather when they bloom. Now, riddle me who? Intelligence on the move. I know you sleep and believe in this what I do. And I leave them with a few of them thoughts for you to sum. I'm the one who's drilling my inner killer with mirror none. We've been overdue and now I'm running over you. The lack of women in the game is something that I'm over to. Get over you if you refuse to see the news. Cause I'm over being divided and blindsided over truth. Being the young, understand I will ever do. 30 to life of being gifted, I supply the truth. Look in the light, I know you blinded by the cues. But I'm hoping that you're soaking in the cold. And while I don't mean that's believe that I'm predetermined to win. Ayy, and I'm back at it again in the final second. I elevate in my direction. Leave them to wonder why they ever second guess. Me, they never recognize a queen. They never saw that I was backed by a king. So my arrival is more than what it seems. And my survival is more than what it means. I'm a movement. Tamar is a movement. Yeah, so you definitely don't want to miss this particular film. Um, so you need to go to the website, um, jfi.org, and um, you know get your tickets for opening night at the drive-in and get tickets for the other films that you might want to check out. But definitely don't miss this online screening with a Q&A with um, the, uh, Tamar, the subject of, this wonderful film, They Ain't Ready for Us, directed by uh, Brad Rothschild. So um, I am going to close with a rebroadcast of Don Porter, director of the film John Lewis, Good Trouble. And we saw um, John Lewis uh, in uh, the film, uh, Truth to Power, Barbara Lee Speaks for Me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really wonderful film. Um, Truth to Power, Barbara Lee Speaks for Me, directed by Abby Ginsberg and um, Shola Lynch, consulting producer. And, uh, yeah, it's really exciting. So, um, again, here is a rebroadcast of that particular interview 
And, uh, yeah, this is another phenomenal film about a great um, great uh, citizen uh, and a good person, a great person to have in office who is a man for the people. Oops. Uh, <laughs> uh, wrong place. Here we are. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you, Miss Porter? This this is such a marvelous, marvelous film. Thank you so much for making it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, it is just. Oh my goodness. It is such a wonderful story about such a wonderful man that you know we thought we knew, <laughs> yeah. um, but we really don't know. Okay, okay. You mean that's the way you felt as you were making the film, or that's why you made the film because you knew that? No. Oh. Yeah, that is why. That is definitely how I felt as I was making it. I mean, when um, you know, uh, first of all, thank you for for writing. I really appreciate it. Um, but uh, when CNN first came and spoke to me about doing the film, um, I started. You know, I read his book mm-hmm. um, and then I started watching things and I thought there is so much to this man's life that first of all was speaking to me today but second of all I thought it's so important that we know how a John Lewis became a John Lewis right. <laughs> yeah and you know and that is I was really drawn to to some of those parts of the story so um, you know, I think he's very famous for, you know, if, you know, people who know him know about the bridge. Mm-hmm. They might know about, you know, the Freedom Rides, that he was part of that, or the lunch counters, that he was part of that. But um, understanding what it took, what, you know, I wanted to explain how did he get to those moments? Yeah. What motivated him? So, so that was very much, um, you know, an inspiration for me. Right, yeah, and and I was just thinking as I was watching the film again early this morning <laughs> to prepare for this conversation, how the timing you couldn't have planned it. Yeah, it just seems like it no. was it was like happening, being orchestrated, be in you know in a in a place beyond you know the temporal. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, um, you know that that was certainly not planned. Mm-hmm. So I think it speaks to the universality of his work and of the lessons of his life, which are, you know, he's kind of a slow and steady wins the race guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so thoughtful in how he's lived his life. Right. And that those are timeless qualities, you know, thinking and listening and compassion that is you know I was thinking about the contrast of John Lewis's style of leadership with our current president I was thinking about that Mm -hmm. but I, I you know could not have imagined that this moment we're in would be this moment that you know, we would see once again kind of people taking to the streets 
um, you know, to to protest, to march, to use their voices. So I do feel like I'm, I wouldn't wish this moment on anybody, but I, I do feel like there's this film is going to hopefully resonate even more deeply because of what we're living through right now. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And there were so many, so many moments of crises, and because he's a historic figure, we kind of know that things are going to be all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> because because we're here and things are all right. Um, you know what I mean? Like we're we're yeah. not. Yeah. No, I mean, that's true. That's why you can kind of take it. You know, like mm-hmm. like our current police violence things that are so tragic that sometimes it's just too much. Like you know, knowing that John Lewis not only survived but thrived. Mm-hmm. Um, through that really is something to hold on to and mm-hmm. to say, you know, you just cannot defeat um, a, a person, you know, progress, a movement like this. It's just, you can't, you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, these little gems, you know, how, how he, how he met Dr. King, right? You know, as mm-hmm. a young person wanting to go to college and, mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, what? You know, brother, what do you say, the boy <laughs> from <laughs> Troy, right? <laughs> Dr. King was a real person for him. You mm-hmm. know? Yes. And when you think about, um, you know, what he learned and how, but, you know, he's, I, I think there's also kind of a steely resolve to John Lewis mm-hmm. that, I wanted to point out because he's actually, you know, you can see his kind of fiery speeches and, but he's a very soft-spoken person. He's a very quiet person. Mm. And, you know, to see that quiet is really strength, you know, that he is just determined. And I think you see that in his campaign against Julian Bond. Yes. You know, those details, I think people have, kind of forgotten about but he's also a very strategic man mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times you know black leaders are given credit for being you know uh, brave but I also wanted to point out how smart he is and mm-hmm. how smart the the planning of the movement was and we see the lasting results of those actions and, you know, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens, you know, by strategy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I really like the section um, in the film where you just go through some of the the high points of, of bills and laws that he, he signed off on and that were we made into. That. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were too many. So we oh. Had to, we had oh. To highlight. Oh. <laughs> Oh my! Call Stevie Wonder's representative. Mm -hmm. You know, Stevie Wonder and Pharrell were like John Lewis, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, happy. Yes, and yes. (laughs) And then the Stevie Wonder reference. Stevie Wonder's song is um, that's the bills that the the legislative accomplishments. Oh yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. You know, sometimes it's kind of hard to hear the soundtrack underneath. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? I got to go back a third time. Okay. 
Okay, nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it's just, and it's so, it's so beautiful. The film is so beautiful. I just love looking at the juxtaposition of John Lewis, Lewis then and John Lewis now. Like when you have the face with vote, you know, looks like uh, African, um, you know, um, the, uh, the white, you know, for ceremony. Yeah, and then you have him like, there he is, and then the, um, the, the painting, and someone saying yeah. that he looks like, who's, who's the art, who's the, uh, the musician or the rap artist that they, John Lewis looks like? Um, yeah, yeah, Jay Z, yeah. Jay Z, right. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you, you still recognize him in the young person, you think, like, dang, he was hecka young. Oh my goodness. I know. I know. I mean, I have an 18-year-old, and mm. I just, you know, imagining what, when you're at that stage of life, mm-hmm. to have the fortitude to do all the things that he's done is really just, um, you know, the, the human spirit is remarkable. Mm-hmm. To see John Lewis, when he puts his mind to something, you know, watch out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that were some of the qualities that that you saw in him? Some of the qualities that you also saw, you know, maybe in retrospect, um, reflected in yourself as a director, because you made oh, some pretty wow. remarkable films uh, in your career, mm-hmm. and and you know, like like this film is just like, oh my goodness, you're probably gonna get all kind of awards. <laughs> you know, because it's just such a lovely work and it's such a great collaboration. I want you to talk about that too. Like, you know, like all the moving parts to this work, you know, behind the scenes and things like that. You know, um I I I would not say that. No. I think mm. John Lewis is um I I would think I would say like he sets a bar mm. which I'm always like aiming, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that he is um, so remarkable, he's just tireless. Mm. You know, he just, and I, I think that's partly because of the way that he lives his life. You know, like studying philosophy, studying religion. Mm-hmm. He made a choice about he actively decided what he believed to be a moral way of living. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, he's very peaceful, you know, as fiery as he is, he's very quiet, funny, he's a happy person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that like, made a big impression on me, um, you know, that those qualities, that is part of longevity, is not allowing yourself to be consumed with anger. And there's a lot he could be angry about. Mm-hmm. So he... I think does something a lot of us to do, which is he uses his anger as inspiration and he doesn't let it consume him. Mm-hmm. He recognizes, you know, that he lives his life in a very full um, and positive way. And I think that that's why he's been so, he's had such a long career, such a long successful career. So, um, But this, you know, I, I think, this one was a joy to make. I mean, these times feel so dark and so, um, you know, just angry. And this was like, it was, it was a way to be creative. It was a way to really, 
you know, steady, my ancestors. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was just something that was so uplifting knowing what these people accomplished. Um, and then even things like working with the composer. So the composer is a woman named Tamara Kelly, mm-hmm. and she had done the music for Mudbound. And, uh, you know, in talking with her, to her, I really want you to write a modern spiritual. Mm-hmm. I want to be taken on a journey. And she just understood it. You know, she, I'm not a musician, so I can't describe that musically, but she just, she just got it. Hmm. And she understood how important the land is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for, you know, for so many black people who do not, who that, that connection has been broken. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there is something to the fact that he, he knows where he comes from. That's why we put this, you know, scene of him going back to his, you know, family home and visiting his sister and seeing his parents in the cemetery. He knows where he comes from. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, continues to um, to to draw on that strength, and I, I think that's part of the the reason why he's been so, you know, he's had such a long career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even even in his, um, you know, being able to like touch the ground and that mm-hmm. it's been in the family, you know, all these years, and 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 the wonderful, I just love the scenes, you know, with his big brothers and sisters, you know. Mm, yeah, sense. that is so precious. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and I yeah, and I don't know if he really heard them speak that way before. Oh you know, wow. Like, yeah. So so often you don't know how your actions you know, it certainly impacts his family and mm-hmm. they they were frightened for him. But they're so proud and supportive of him, mm-hmm. Robert, as they call him. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I think that that was kind of a blessing for all of them to be able to. Essentially, what they're saying is, "We love you," mm-hmm. you know. And in saying there's when you watch the scene with the um, the siblings, you look at one of his brother, you know, wipes the tear away. It's still that fresh. How worried they were for him. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, black people were living in a time of terror. Yes. And um, I don't, you know, that is something John Lewis has that I don't have. I I am not that brave. Um, and you know, I'm just grateful that he is. But but he's not only brave but smart. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And pointing out how smart those activists were and how they planned their actions mm-hmm. so that look at what I mean if you think of what they were trying to do it was so modest they were trying to have a hamburger and a coke mm-hmm. in a diner or ride a bus um, so you know it just I was really inspired by how they strategically set about getting to the change they wanted Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, being able to, you know, be able to see, um, you know, Representative um, Elijah Cummings, you know, whom mm. you dedicate the film to, that was really beautiful. And and Congressman uh, James uh, Clyburn, you know, what he said. And, yeah, 
in, in some of the other, some of his other peers saying, you know, wow, well, gosh, you know, we're the same age. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I really wanted um, their perspective in the film. So it was like you have the perspective of people who were the newcomers, you know, mm-hmm. coming in. Yes. But also the people who were there. And I, I love, you know, Representative Clyburn says, I was never as nonviolent as John. Yes. And it really, you know, shows you. I think too often black people are one portrayed in one dimension, mm-hmm. you know, and as if we don't have a range of complicated feelings. And um, so having his peers speak to, you know, kind of what it was like when you had to make those choices. Am I going to... How am I going to respond to this injustice? What is the way that I'm going to do it? So I, I just felt really, it was heartbreaking to us when Representative Cummings passed mm-hmm. um, because he just gave us the most beautiful interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was the first person to, you know, kind of track us down <laughs> to do an interview. Nice. Um, yeah, I think it's not, I don't know how often it is that people line up to be in a movie, mm. but people definitely lined up for the congressman. So, mm-hmm. wow, this was a very joyful project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember, um, uh, you know, reading in in the notes that um, you know John Lewis is the conscious of the um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. conscience of the Congress. Yeah, Pelosi called Oh, okay, mm-hmm. right, okay. Yeah, and and just you know him, you know, like I love the, I don't know if it's the poster or the opening, you know, where we mm-hmm. see, um, you know, Congressman Lewis and see that, you know, he's been arrested this many times, and you know, mm-hmm. like this is his record, and he says, you know, and then the whole idea of good trouble, good trouble. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. it's like wow, what a what a great term, right? Get into good trouble, and then it's like stop it this way and stop it that way. And his secretary saying it. He's, you know, he's really consistent in the message, right? He is. He is. And it's it's very comforting, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. He's a very grounded person. Mm-hmm. And it gives you something to hold on to, you know. Yes. This time when it feels like so many things are kind of, I don't know which way to turn. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's real anymore. Um, so I just appreciated, you know, the consistency and calm that he brings, mm-hmm. um, you know, to our, our, our political discussion. Right. Yeah. And, and you had, wow, so much archival footage and the way you juxtaposed, you know, the now and the then and, and the congressman not having seen some of the footage because, you know, he's out there doing the work, right? So you can't just watch a movie about your life when you need to live your life. Right. And and so he's sitting there, you know, and, and you know, the way you said that with the big screens and 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 he's he's reflecting on this historic moment for us. And and that just seems like wow as a director, it's like, whoa, those moments and then um, you know, his relationship with the the person who um uh, I don't know what his his title is, but he's like his aide. He's with him. He's been with yeah, him like his chief of staff. Yeah, chief of staff. Right, right. Yeah, and and the attorneys they're getting ready to go in and um and address 
you know, um, the house and they're preparing and and all these young people, right. Or people that are like a lot younger, like, whoa. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, it's true. And, you know, I think um, we don't really see how government really works. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, to see a little bit of that preparation, but also I think, the relationship between him and his chief of staff was really um, made a big impression on me because mm-hmm. you don't always see first this intergenerational, but also they have such an easy, you know, love and respect for one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is something they show each other every day, which that's not how we usually portray black men mm-hmm. as having these friendships, um, you know, so um, you know, Michael has been with him for 20 years mm-hmm. and still calls him Mr. Lewis, you know, yeah. <laughs> or the congressman. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and there's just that kind of, you know, like that's how I grew up. That's how you respect your elders. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I, I found that to be really important to show that that's, you know, how they treat one another, um, how they show up for one another. Mm-hmm. what example that sets, you know. Right, yeah. And, you know, just, you know, sort of reflecting on, on that relationship, you know, as they were walking up all those stairs, I mean, we sort of felt those, that's like that, you said, you're going to, like, hold my arm or whatever. <laughs> that was funny, yeah. And then, and then. funny, and that was, yeah, that was something that we, you know, sometimes when you, um, you were filming so much, you know, you go back and there's, I didn't walk up all the stairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I set the cameraman up. Oh. And the footage later, you see that. And mm-hmm. so those are the kind of precious things, you know, they're not even knowing, they're not even focusing on us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. what, those are the great moments, like as a director that you, you live for, is finding those, you know, that's a really real example of that's the epitome of their relationship they tease each other they mm-hmm. care about each other mm-hmm. they're funny you know don't let me fall you know right mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean um yeah that was yeah like you know and he michael carrying the umbrella and i'm thinking okay is he gonna keep him dry right and and, <laughs> and then wiping the kiss of uh, the lipstick off his cheek know. you know when the woman kisses him i was like <laughs> Like, oh, you need to stop it. Pray for this guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love how they tease each other. Mm-hmm. You know, that lipstick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then and then the baptism, right? I got fully submerged. You got sprinkles. I know. <laughs> so am I, le- am I less blessed than you? Christian than me? Yeah. Right, right. I am more Christian than you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And then, and then even the way you start, you know, off like showing us in the beginning how, um, you know, Michael is straightening his tie, you know, making sure, you know, that is, you know, and just the way everyone is taking care of, make sure, you know, he's not too shiny, like, okay, we don't want to, he made a joke about his forehead, right? <laughs> you know, and I think that that shows um, that he means more to his staff than just being a boss. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, they have a really full relationship that has lasted for so many years. So um, I was really, I think as a black director, as a black woman, it was really important for me to show 
that love between them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow, yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, because I don't know how much more time we have, if you could talk a little bit about about your 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 life as a director and your preparation for for the work that you know this great work and and you are you sort of like you're working on something else too as you're working on this and mm-hmm. and then other other films and other projects you know in your um uh uh in your portfolio you know that mm-hmm. um sort of speak to you know sort of what you know, your values as a director and as a storyteller, because, you know, you, you taught Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and you live here in in the San Francisco Bay area, which is like, wow. Um, and, and we are such an epicenter of, of activism and, and change, you know, right here. And, and there's so much happening, you know, we've got a pandemic, um, and and we're opening back up, but people are still dying. Um, you know, we've got this big, you know, Juneteenth is tomorrow, yeah. like African American yeah. Freedom Day, and then you open the day before, yeah. um, you know, the fourth of the lie. Some people say, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the Independence Day for whom? Well, I'm you know. so glad you were so observant. None of these are accidents. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, we are, you know, our first major screening is going to be tomorrow. In Tulsa. Right, I was reading about that. Yeah. And um, that is one of the reasons I love, that was, you know, an idea by our distributor, and we just loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like, sometimes you can oppose, you know, Trump by by what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, So opening, you know, the John Lewis film, the site, you know, Tulsa, the site of a historic violation of black people's rights mm-hmm. on Juneteenth, you know, the day we celebrate that the slaves finally understood, all the slaves understood they were free. Right. Um, what could be more American than a movie by John, about John Lewis? And mm-hmm. same for Fourth of July. You yeah. know, I would like to take back the word patriot and make mm-hmm. it something that embraces everybody instead mm-hmm. of just people who are trying to deny other people rights. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that is very much part of this effort. I mean, I am attracted to my first film was a film called Gideon Tani mm-hmm. about three young African-American public defenders in the deep South. And, you know, their stories really moved me. I guess I have been examining this question of what it what it means to love your country um when you're a minority in that country and for me you know if you think about public defenders the only job that's described in the constitution is you have the right to counsel Mm -hmm. you have the right to a lawyer we are not supposed to lock people up without you know due process and those that is what a public defender does for free Mm-hmm. for the poorest of the poor. So I'm just really interested in examining, um, you know, turning around and upside down this idea of what love for America means and how it can be inclusive mm-hmm. instead of exclusive. So I think a lot of my films are examining that question one way or the other. Mm-hmm. 
Right, right, yeah. And um, <clears throat> are you are you a, a, a native to California, to the Bay Area? Like, were you born and raised here? No, I am a native New Yorker, um, oh, okay. born in Brooklyn, raised mm-hmm. in the Bronx and in the New York suburbs, um, and very proud of my New York roots. <laughs> um so, you know, newer to the Bay Area. We've only been here about five years. Um, oh, okay. But um, I really um, appreciate um, the creativity of the Bay and how um, values are so often part of the conversation about how you live your life, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like, you know, on the East Coast, we kind of march through things, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the West Coast, there's a little more reflection and kind of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of community that I really enjoy um, in certain neighborhoods in the Bay Area. So it's been, um, it's been fun getting to explore the West Coast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about, <clears throat> You know the the wonderful um, scene with um, with uh, Secretary um, Smithsonian Secretary um, Lonnie Bunch. Oh, Lonnie that, Bunch. Yeah, yeah, that's really beautiful. Them sitting there, you know, just just in each other's company, just watching the waterfall. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just like a moment of stillness. Mm-hmm. That's just really beautiful. Because there there are moments of stillness um, in the film, and these moments like when he says when. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Mr. Lewis says that when his fear went away, you know, like yeah. it was like no stopping him, you know, after that, mm-hmm. the, you know, move, what is it, the freedom, not freedom, son, but the um, the bus when they were. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, freedom Rise. Freedom yeah. Rise, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's a, such an important point, and I think it's also very relevant today, is mm-hmm. strength isn't always accomplished by screaming. It can mm. be very quiet. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think an example Mr. Lewis gives to all of us is, um, you know, that he is resolved. Yeah. <laughs> he is calm and focused and purposeful and resolved. Mm. And, you know, I, I definitely see the wisdom and the effectiveness of his strategy. I think you do need people lighting stuff on fire, and you see that in his personality too. Mm-hmm. By lighting stuff on fire, I mean lighting, you know, being really vocal about injustice. I absolutely, you know, believe in that. But I also think when we're looking to structural systemic change, you got to take the long view. And Mr. Lewis is really provides you know, a guide to how, to one way of that happening. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And, you know, going back to, you know, the, uh, I don't know what, what Congress it is that was sworn in that you, that's in your film, but when we have all of these, um, these new, you know, voices, you know, in the Congress, and particularly when um, uh, the Congresswoman um, from Detroit, Michigan, um, uh, Rashida, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Um, when she talks about yeah, Talib, Talib, when she talks about when, when she was a child, watching 
<laughs> you know, the uh, representative Lewis on on the television is like, wow, you know, just I'm like, and the, and now she's his peer, like, whoa. I know. You're like literally seeing the baton be passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, those are some wonderful interviews. Um, that is like, wow, that's that's sort of showing, you know, his longevity, like, and after that too. Yeah, I, I felt like that a lot, you know, and I felt like um, there's so often we have bad news and, mm. we are, you know, I think at this time when we are literally worried about the future of democracy, mm-hmm. to me, it was important to show that there are people who are learning from the right teachers mm-hmm. and you know they're going to make their own way but part of their education is going to be studying you know a a calm and effective leader so mm-hmm. I, I found that i found that comforting mm-hmm. right right yeah and it was really beautiful you know sort of having it you know all of the you know the current um uh I guess electoral process, you know, the the having the results coming in and and seeing sort of how how they all get together and they the you know they campaign for each other and cheer each other on and then they sit and watch the returns and they say okay we got that one oh and you know I, I've never seen that like because you know how many of us get to hang with representatives right so exactly. no. we were, yeah that was mm-hmm. really that was mm-hmm. really a lot of fun yeah and then. Yeah, and then seeing, um, you know, the, uh, you know, Georgia representative, um, Stacey Abrams, you know, what happened with her and, and, and she's actually, you know, um, Elihu Harris, um, uh, and, and Barbara Lee, they have a, a series that they, a speaker series. So a lot of these representatives, some of the older ones, um, we've seen before because they have that, the Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Center is here in the Bay Area. And so it's like, oh, I've seen Congressman, you know, James Clyburn, you know, speak, you know, here. And, and so anyways, it was really kind of cool, you know, seeing, um, seeing them on the screen and hearing these other stories. And we've actually seen them here in the Bay Area. Um, you know, uh, uh, Stacey Abrams, you know, because of COVID-19, she wasn't here physically, but we saw her, you know, via, you know, an online platform recently. So that was kind of cool. No. Hey Wanda, I'm so yes. sorry to interrupt, but uh, we need we need to wrap it up for okay. John's schedule. So, are you all set, or did you need anything else? Um, I, well, I wanted her to have some closing words, if that was okay. Of course. Thank sure. you. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I I think this is one of this is one of the most meaningful films I will ever do. Mm. And that is because um, I think a John Lewis is a once-in-a-lifetime person and mm-hmm. example, but I think his message, um, there's something in his actions that we all can emulate, that we all can follow. So I may not ever be as strong or resilient or determined as John Lewis, but I can try. And... Mm-hmm. You know, he couldn't he couldn't see the future for himself, but he imagined it. He didn't see it around him when he was growing up, but he was able to imagine it. Yes. And I think if a John Lewis can imagine that, I can certainly imagine the future I want for my children, you know, yeah. and for the world that's coming up, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's coming up for all of us. 
So, um, so thank you so much for writing. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so thank you so much for the work that you do, and have fun tomorrow at the screening and and Tulsa. That's going to be so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be there. It's virtual, but um, yeah, but we'll be you know. Quote unquote pending. So. Yes, yes. We'll be in the new iteration, but you'll be there. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. Good to talk to you. Good talking Thanks, to you. Sure. Thank you both so much. Bye bye. Have a good day. You bye. too. Bye.